worship. Two things of note today, one being that following Remembrance Day, we would like to do Remembrance here as well. Uh, we got a bit of a jump start on that last week, singing O Canada. Uh, today, during the prayers of the people, we will allow for some silence and a chime that Jennifer will uh, use to mark that silence for us as we remember not only those whose names appear on this plaque, but all of those who have served and all of those who come back changed as a result. The other item of note is that this is the second to the last Sunday of the church year. It seems appropriate somehow that the scripture would introduce that theme of impermanence. And it does cause us to have to fuss with some questions. Maybe the lead question being, how do we respond faithfully in the face of such impermanence? For our worship today, the large cranberry colored hymnal will certainly come into play as will the worship folder that is printed on green paper today. some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left on another, and all will be thrown down. They asked him, teacher, when will this be, and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And Jesus said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he. The time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first. But the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, there will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you, and they will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, 
For I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and siblings, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. The Gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you from God, whose desire is that all creation be mended. The risen Christ and the Spirit who animates us to be church together. You've seen the bumper sticker or the meme, haven't you? Jesus is coming, look busy. Huh, is that already shop-worn? We're past that? Well, once upon a time, no, I won't go there. (laughs) But I would like to reframe that notion to say that the risen Christ is already among us. And Jesus himself would say that we see his face in people who need us. So there's plenty to keep us busy. But when we hear gospel texts like this one, aren't we tempted just a little bit to wonder, are these the end times? Is this it? Well, if you're hoping the pastor will tell you about it all, I'm afraid you're in for some disappointment. But can I tell a story instead? Once upon a time, when I was much more sure, in about 1971, I had a friend in the neighborhood, Grandma Griggs, we called her, and I would frequently visit, and I had just gotten wind of this whole thing about Jesus is going to come back and we can tell because so-and-so was elected in this government and all the signs are pointing and Jesus is going to be back in 10 minutes and you just better be ready. So I figured that Grandma Griggs needed to know this. So I let her know. And her response that I remember to this day and that came to mind this morning actually over coffee was this. She said, since I was a little girl, People told me that all of this was just around the bend. But here I am. And here we are 50 years later. But I think that Charlotte's response was a hopeful response and not a cynical one. She wasn't dismissing how God acts in the world. But I think she was just a tad suspicious of those would-be prophets who would say, I can tell you the day and hour that Jesus comes back, and here's how it's all going to shake out. We probably don't have to make much of a case for the impermanence and the tenuousness of life, do we? Do I need to harp on that at all, or can I just move on? Move on, Bart, move on. We thought the temple was going to last forever. That's a story worth telling, actually. The temple had been around for 500 years already. 
It had been dedicated some, say, 170 years before Jesus. That rededication and that reconsecration of temple is commemorated every year to this day. Hanukkah, the season of light. But by the time that Luke's gospel was written and people first started hearing Luke's take on the life of Jesus, the temple had, in fact, been destroyed. The Romans were to be the culprits there because they were taking out their revenge on those who had revolted against the empire. Talk about impermanence. Reading that scene made me think about movies that you see once in a while, older movies anyway, where you see the New York City skyline and you see the twin towers of the World Trade Center still. How eerie is that when you think about something that we thought was permanent but was brought to an end in such violent ways? I imagine that as Luke's gospel was being penned and shared among people, and there was this talk about a beautiful temple that was so appointed and so dedicated. They probably had that same sense of emptiness and loss because the building was no more. It's interesting to note, though, that despite the temple being sacked, Judaism didn't go away. Christianity didn't go away. So maybe there are some things that endure. But we do have to be careful. When you think about things like the Amazon rainforest, which has been around for millions, if not billions of years, when politicians say that their political agenda is to strip the thing bare so we can harvest all the resources, you know that permanence is brought into question. And you can't help but to wonder about changes that are violently wrought, or the ones that come about when we are greedy. Yes, polar ice caps melting might be a good example. Or maybe you read this fall, as many of us did, that the number of species in our world and the sheer number of individual animals decreased by about 30% in a very short time. These things tell us something. They tell us of not only impermanence, but of the brokenness in which we live. So where does that put us? What is our response? The commentators of Working Preacher actually offer a series of questions that I think are not only framed and phrased very well, but are useful for us. We can ask ourselves today some of these questions. I'm ahead of myself. I think I do need to say something about how much the world has changed for us since 2020. Work has changed. Home life has changed. School Church, sports, all of it changed. And so these questions take on a bit of urgency. Like, what do we see? Where do we focus? 
How do we respond when would-be prophets come and tell us they have all the answers, the easy answers even, and they know exactly whom to blame? What do we say and how do we act when the sands appear to be shifting underfoot? And most importantly, the question comes, to whom do we look when the bottom falls out? Well, we're in church, so it has to be Jesus, right? Well, yeah, <laughs> I would say so. But maybe I'm just old and grumpy enough to have a series of questions that fall behind that quick answer. Whose version of Jesus are we looking to here? The scorched earth one that some would like us to believe? Or maybe one that just kind of got fed up with us all and decided to just, after the resurrection and ascension, to go off and do something more interesting and something a little easier. I think that we as people of faith can hang on to the person of the risen Christ who, by being who he is and by rising from the dead, says that the last word, indeed, is God's. There are more questions we can ask. How does this Jesus see the world? How does this Jesus see life? How does this Jesus see us? What differences are there between how Jesus would see things and we see things? If that brings about a change in our perspective, that's called repentance. Back in the day, pastors used to like to preach repentance, didn't they? And I think we understood it. We thought, oh, I need to shape up right now, and God's going to come and just bop me over the head. Well, sometimes, in the error of our ways, yes, we do inherit consequences, do we not? But the notion of repentance, that change of perspective, that change of mind, is really more about having our souls and hearts expanded and our vision changed so that we see what God is truly up to. We introduced a notion from our Jewish siblings a few months back, Tikkun Olam, the restoration of all things. Maybe that's the vision that Jesus is inviting us to see against this backdrop of impermanence and sometimes <clears throat> chaos. I would like to share part of a story of a seminary classmate of mine. What happened to her when the bottom fell out? And it truly did. Now, it's a longer story it is a detailed story that I am going to condense into just a very short story. But I know that if you consult a website called The Spent Dandelion, or another called OMG, you will encounter the thought and the life and the work of the Reverend Dr. Anna Madsen. I noticed on Facebook today she's preaching in Duluth. Couldn't make the trip, so I'm going to tell you a bit of her story and what she takes from it. 
Some 20 years ago, she was finishing her PhD in Germany. Her husband, Bill, and their toddler, Carl, were involved in a pedestrian car crash. It killed Anna's husband, Bill. It left Carl with a permanent traumatic brain injury. I've met Carl. He is as mischievous as they come. It is also true that he will not live independently in his lifetime. But living with that kind of trauma, that kind of pain, and all the aftermath, here is the witness that Dr. Madsen offers when she preaches and when she speaks at workshops. She says categorically, God does have the last word. And here's where I'll need some help because my German is very poor, but she uses a word, D-O-C-H. Can somebody help me with what that means? Da. Yes, what does that mean exactly? Inga. Inga, you're on the spot. What does the word doc, D-O-C-H, mean, roughly? Isn't it kind of like no or nonetheless, something like that? Yep. Okay, that's the word. She has it as her license plate. So this tells me that a faithful response for her is one that says, even in the face of chaos, God has the last word. And we, in some small ways, can echo that last word with little bits of resistance by letting our light shine, by gathering as we gather, by insisting that yes, God does indeed have the future in mind and the future is moving toward this great and grand end game, the restoration of all things. So, I guess we don't have to look busy, but we can be attentive to God's creative and creating, creating and redeeming work in the world. Thanks be to God. Thank you.